Leave your your what you said in, but not what I said. <laughs> your fala. That's what I was gonna say. Yes. <laughs> All right. Pode you speak. Pode speak. Okay. Juliana Cantarelli Vita. And I'm Skylar Weldon. This is Massa, a podcast about Brazilian music and culture. Juliana and I are music professors and musicians. In each episode, we dive into a specific genre, song, artist, or issue in Brazilian music to try to understand how it works and what it means. What's on the agenda for today, Skylar? Well, given this is our first episode and all, I was thinking we should start with the music of the Afro-Brazilian religion called Candomblé and how it has influenced Brazilian popular music. Yeah, that seems like a good idea, uh, but it's a pretty big topic. Where should we start? Well, how about we listen to a couple of popular songs that could serve as a way in, things that were made by artists working now. Sounds good. What's up first? This is a brand new song uh, released in 2020 by the singer Fabiana Cosa. Baqueta batendo tambor, é o som da pedra preta que a pedra rolou. É a ponta do martelo, é o cabo do machado, é o ronco do trovão que é a voz de Xangô. É o líder da tribuna, é o chefe da justiça, é o prumo da balança, é Xangô. Oh, wow. What's that song called? It's called Cabecile, which I learned thanks to you. Is the saudação for one of the orishas of Candomblé. Exactly. But wait, we should probably explain those non-English words. Good idea. An orisha is a deity of the Afro-Brazilian religion called Candomblé. A saudação is the words of praise or greeting directed at a particular orisha. In this case, these are the words used for the orisha called Xangô. Cabecile means something like come salute the king. 
Yes, that's actually one of the things that stood out to me. My Portuguese is decent, but cabecile is not a word I've heard before. That's because it's not Portuguese. It's Yoruba, or a version of Yoruba that survived in Brazil when enslaved peoples brought their language from West Africa. That explains it. But it's interesting that it's made it into an album of popular music in 2020. As we'll discuss, the music and imagery of Candomblé is pervasive in Brazilian popular music. Indeed. In fact, Xangô, the Orisha you just mentioned, is the topic of another recent song that I can't stop listening to. This one's actually called Xangô, and it's by the group Hochi Ioreia, featuring Luigi Luna. Quando ele grita lá do alto da pedreira As aves voam em seu louvor em revoada Os rios correm pros mares e cachoeiras Os filhos cantam em seu louvor E tudo isso é homenagem a Xangô E tudo isso é homenagem a Xangô Xangô de Ogum, Xangô de Adé, de Imanjá God, I love this song. That is indeed the same Shango that Fabiana Casa is singing about uh, in the song we just listened to before. So I should say that we pick these songs not just because they're good. Right. As we saw, they both reference Candomblé uh, Orishas in their lyrics, and this is just one of the ways that they reflect the long-standing importance of Candomblé, both in Brazilian culture overall and in the history of Brazilian popular music specifically. As we'll discuss a little later, with a little practice, we can learn to hear the musical heritage of Candomblé. We'll need to get some background on Candomblé in general first, but before we do, let's check out one more recording, something that's not so new. It's a 1966 recording by Bading Pau and Vinícius de Moraes. I think I know that one. It has to be Canto de Xangô from the famous album Os Afro Sambas, right? That's the one. Xangô é godô. Salve Xangô, meu rei senhor. Salve meu orixá. Tem sete cores sua cor. Sete dias para a gente. Before we jump into the history and, tr and traditions of Candomblé, we should probably point out that neither of us are practitioners of this religion. Yes. We want to discuss Candomblé in our first episode because it's foundational to so much of the music we plan to discuss in future episodes, including the genres that you and I focus on in our research. 
Yeah. Many Brazilian music traditions, such as samba and maracatu, owe a great debt to candomblé. Some of the musicians that developed these genres were and are practitioners of candomblé. And there are plenty of musical characteristics that we can trace to candomblé practice. But this is a living spiritual practice, not only a musical ancestor to samba and maracatu. And our perspectives on candomblé practice are those of outsiders. Although I was born and raised in Brazil, I am not a candomblé practitioner, and my connection to the religion is indirect and musical. I have been studying in the music tradition called Maracatu de Baque Virado, which is rooted in candomblé, since 2010. And I'm neither Brazilian nor am I a candomblé practitioner. But as part of my work, I research and teach samba and other Afro-Brazilian music traditions, most of which have connections to candomblé. If we're going to talk about those traditions, it's really important to highlight the role that candomblé, both as a spiritual tradition and as a set of inherited cultural practices, has had in the history of Brazilian music. At the same time, we're not privy to certain knowledge that is protected and reserved for practitioners. Right. And another important factor is that candomblé practice has roots in Afro-Brazilian communities. That doesn't mean that all practitioners are black Brazilians, but many are. And I want to be clear that as a white American, I recognize that I am an outsider to this culture on multiple levels. Yes, although I might be seen as a person of color here in the U.S. because I'm Latina, I too identify as white in Brazil. If we're going to talk about the music of Candomblé, let's listen to a more traditional toque de Xangô. Something that you might actually hear as part of a candomblé ceremony. The toki associated with Shango is called aluja. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about the history and traditions of candomblé and some of its musical features. <laughs> Before we get into the musical particularities of Candomblé, we should set the stage a bit. Juliana, how would you describe what Candomblé is most simply? Candomblé is an Afro-Brazilian religion derived from traditional West African spirituality that became codified during the early 19th century in Brazil. Yes, it's a religion in the sense that it has specific beliefs and rituals, but many describe it as a holistic philosophy of life. And that philosophy involves recognizing the interconnectedness of things, the ways that the individual is both part of a human community and uh, within a larger universe. That interconnectedness is not limited to the living world either. Egunj ancestors play a huge role in candomblé worship and daily life. As you said, this religion didn't spring from nothing on Brazilian soil. Many of these ideas, tenets, and values came with enslaved people from West and Central Africa, starting in the 16th century. If you're wondering how this religion survived that journey, one thing to keep in mind is that more enslaved people were brought to Brazil than any other place in the Americas. But they didn't all come from the same ethnic groups. 
Upon arriving in Brazil, people were divided into nations depending on the port of embarkation, which meant that Africans from different cultures, ethnic groups, regions, and religious backgrounds were thrown together. This resulted in a number of different candomblé traditions, which are typically described as nações, or nations. Some are associated with the ethnolinguistic group Yoruba, including both the Nago and the Keto traditions that we'll be discussing in the first few episodes. And even these words can be confusing because practitioners use the same words for different things. Ketu is typically used to describe practices in Bahia, which is the largest state in Brazil's northeast region. It's where the original capital of Brazil was under Portuguese colonization. And it's the place where the largest number of enslaved people entered the colony. Nago can be a term that refers to Yoruba-derived traditions in general, or sometimes a specific variant, as we'll talk about in a later episode. Exactly. There are other nações, or nations as well, which sometimes refer to an origin point in Africa and other times a specific development in Brazil. Right. Enslaved people were forcibly separated from those that spoke the same language or held the same beliefs and thrown together with others from different regions and ethnic groups. This meant that the religions that they brought ended up blending together. But at the same time, the final product was not a homogeneous set of beliefs, but a number of different, highly regionalized practices. Which have also shifted over time. So while the various nations have traditions in common, they also have differences. Right. So different Orishas who are venerated in different regions of Africa become part of the same worship practices in some cases. And others were lost along the way. Of the thousands of Orishas worshipped in Africa, only a few hundred made it across the Atlantic. Today, only a couple dozen are regularly worshipped. It took a while for Kanamba to arise as an organized, structured community of practice, um, really, only in the early 19th century did something like what we have today come together. The mixture of many disparate practices and beliefs within a single religion is something scholars often call syncretism, though not everyone likes that term. The scholar Luis Antonio Simish prefers the word amalgam to describe this process, for example. Like some other Afro-diasporic religions, such as Santeria and Vodun, Candomblé has also seen some mixture with Catholicism. Sometimes Candomblé Odishas are syncretized with saints. Meaning that practitioners can worship or have iconography associated with, say, São João Batista, in English, St. John the Baptist, but actually be worshipping Shango. Yes, though this kind of syncretism is highly regional, so you might have the same Odisha associated with different saints depending on where you are in Brazil. Shango is São João Batista in some places, but in others he might be associated with São Cristóvão, São Pedro, São Jerónimo. Right. And, and what does that look like when we have um, the, the syncretism in terms of maybe an idol, for example? So you would have a statue of a saint, of a Catholic saint, say, uh, São João Batista, right next to a picture of Shango or a picture of uh, someone incorporating Shango. So that would be, they would be right next to each other um, in a, in a tejero. And this aspect of syncretism is often characterized as the strategy of survival or a strategy of resistance, because the Catholic Church condemned and repressed candomblé worship, especially during Brazil's colonial period. Practitioners seem to have adopted these associations to preserve their practices, sometimes in a hidden form. Even though the first permanent tejero in Bahia was formed in 1830, it took until a presidential decree in the mid-1930s for candomblé to be recognized as a legitimate and significant religion in Brazil. 
And then practitioners had to wait until 1976 for a law protecting the freedom of religion and thus, and thus mandating tolerance for candomblé practices. In spite of that, candomblé sisters are still persecuted. But even so, many erroneously describe candomblé practices uh, as Satanism or devil worship or by using other pejorative language. We'll put a link in the description of this episode to a Washington Post article that describes how candomblé has come under attack from some radical evangelical Christians in recent years. And when I say under attack, I mean literally. One place of worship was actually set on fire. There are attacks that even use music. I'm from Recife, the capital of the state of Pernambuco, which is also in the Brazilian Northeast. And there I've seen churches turn up their volume extremely loud to drown out the sounds of maracatu players, in part because these players are candomblécistas. The word candomblécistas refers to practitioners of candomblé, regardless of role or experience level. Beyond that, I have seen prejudice and harassment personally. One of my good friends is a maracatu leader who teaches some candomblé principles along with the music, and his family members, who are not candomblé sisters, constantly question why people would be interested in learning such a thing. They intentionally don't use the term candomblé to describe this and instead use uh, pejorative terms like macumba, which roughly translates to witchcraft. This is another reason why we wanted to highlight candomblé in this first few episodes. Uh, it has long been the target of colonial and colonialist attitudes, and despite the important legacy it has passed on to many Brazilian music forms, is still at risk of persecution and misunderstandings today. Where should we start? Well, if we're going to talk about candomblé as both a religion and a holistic philosophy of life, we should start with the beliefs that undergird that philosophy, such as ashe. Ashe means the energy or life force. It flows through the visible or human world and the invisible world of the Orishas and ancestors, known as eguns. Yeah, it can be channeled through humans, plants, animals, blood, inanimate objects. Candomblé ceremonies are designed to create and channel ashe. These ceremonies sometimes include animal sacrifice, anointing liquids, animal blood offerings, food offerings, prayer recitation, music, percussion, dance, spirit possession. And most importantly for us, two of the principal activities for generating ashe are music and dance, which happen in tandem. Specifically, I'm talking about the drumming of sacred rhythms, the vocalizing of sacred songs, and the choreographed dances this music accompanies. Another way to think of it is this. Through music and dance, humans communicate with Orishas, who are the guardians of Ashe. The Orishas then bestow Ashe on practitioners, which allows them to thrive and prosper. Some of you might be wondering where candomblé worship happens. Typically, the place of worship is the tejero, a word that literally means plot of land, the place where the religious center is constructed. Scholars have pointed out that for many candomblécistas, the tejero is a piece of Africa in Brazil, a recreation of the homeland from which people were taken when enslaved. Sometimes the tejero is called an ilé, meaning house, or ilé axé, meaning a house of axé. It is the space through which candomblécistas gener generate and share axé. 
So let's talk a little bit about what it actually looks like. We're going to get into this more in another episode. But if you were to walk into a tejero or an ile, what are you going to see basically? So in the tejeros that I have been to, there's always a narrow hallway. And on that hallway, that's where you would see the statues I was just talking about. Statues of Shango with San John Pachista, for example. Yes. Um, and that's where people would uh, also leave their offerings on the feet of those statues. And then after that narrow hallway, then you're in a big room that is covered in tile um, on the floor and on the walls as well. So that the, the sound reverberates on on the room. It's just like a constant echo when you're, you're there with the music. Um, there's always a centerpiece. Like a pillar that's right in the middle of the room that sort of is the center for all of the worship practice. Yes, and that's where when they have ceremonies on Fridays, that's where they put all the, all the offerings that they will eat afterwards. So when they have ceremonies, they share the food as well. And it's important to keep in mind that this pillar being in the center, it, it really distinguishes a candomblé tejero from like a Catholic church where there is this hierarchical structure with the altar in the front of the church and things like that. In this case, the ceremony happens in a circle so that there is this it's called a hoda or a circle, and that is seen as um, an important uh, inheritance from African spiritual practice. Yes. And then on the walls, you would see in this particular tehira that I'm thinking of, it, you have big photos of uh, the of the important people of the Babalodisha and the Alodisha. Which are words you never heard before, but we'll explain them later. Yes, <laughs> we'll get to them. Along with the photos, you, you would see the thrones. So there are thrones where the priests, if you will, that's where they sit after and before the ceremonies. Another difference between Candomblé and something like Catholicism is that Candomblé is decentralized. There is no Pope of Candomblé. Right. Tejeros are independent. That means that a given tejero follows their own specific practices and rituals. Though different tejeros may have many things in common, they can also vary greatly. And as we'll see, this is specifically true of the music. Two tejeros may play songs or rhythms with the same name that are otherwise completely different. This actually makes sense if you think about it. Given that candomblé survived in Brazil through surreptitious means, it would have been difficult to have an overarching governing body survive along with that. First, people were separated from others from the same ethno-linguistic groups, forcing religious practices to meld and change. Then these new versions of African religions developed in isolation from one another, leading to major differences. Despite the wide variety of specific practices, there are some commonalities that we can observe and discuss, at least with respect to the two varieties we're going to discuss in these couple episodes. For example, there are certain roles that we tend to see from tejero to tejero. So who tends to be present in the tejero for ceremonies and the like? First of all, the egunj, or ancestors of the people of the nação, those who have been a part of the tejero and those that practitioners carry with them. That makes sense, given the importance of ancestors in candomblé, as we discussed earlier. Yes. Also, there are people who organize and execute the ceremony, oganj, who are the men, and ekedish, who are the women. So how do they dress the Oganj and the Ekedish? They're all dressed in white. Um, and everyone in the in, in the Tejero is also wearing white. They really reinforce this idea of white clothing. Um, even as we were interviewing some folks for these episodes, because the interviews happened on a Friday, they asked me to 
dressing white so that the interviews could happen in a in a respectful way. Oh, I didn't even know that. That's yeah. really interesting. <laughs> so who is the spiritual leader of the Teheru? If the spiritual leader is a woman, then she is usually called a Yalorisha. Which we would translate as priestess? We could. Yeah, that's pretty close. She's also sometimes called a Mãe de Santo. Portuguese for mother of the saint. Saint or santo referring here for the Orishas. Ah, right, because we talked earlier about how Orishas can be synchronized with saints. So the term santo can just be a generic term for an Orisha. Yes. And what if the spiritual leader is a man? Then he would be called the Baba Orisha or Pai de Santo. Ah, I see the pattern. Baba Orisha is Yoruba and Pai de Santo is Portuguese. With the word Orisha in there, can I assume that Baba Orisha means something like father of the saint as well? Yes, that's my understanding. And similarly, Ya means mother. Some Tejeros have a secondary spiritual leader, right? Yes, called a Yakekere or Mãe Pequena in the case of a woman. And a Baba Kekere or <laughs> Pai Pequeno in the case of a man. That's it. Yeah, you got it. Uh, the Yakekere or Baba Kekere would be available to lead a spiritual practice if the Yalorisha or Baba Lorisha were unavailable to for some reason. Let's talk about the musicians that are present. It is a music podcast after all. <laughs> Sure. Well, there is drumming and vocalizing. Depending on the tradition, all of the drummers might be called alabes. Sometimes just the lead drummer is an alabe. And what do they play? Typically, there are three drums, which are played with the palm of their hands and sticks. Depending on the exact tradition, these drums have different names. But in most cases, each drum carries its own rhythm, which it plays as a loop or ostinato. When all three drums play together, they create an interlocking pattern of different rhythms, which music scholars refer to as polyrhythm. Polyrhythm is a common feature of Afro-diasporic musics. A group of instrumentalists playing different looped rhythmic cells that create a rhythmic texture is something that you hear in contexts like West African traditional music, African-American funk, and many Latin American musics like Cuban son, Colombian cumbia, and others. And of course, we'll also be listening for polyrhythms when we discuss other Brazilian styles, such as samba and the maracatu that you play. Indeed. In addition to the drums, there is one more instrument, either called gun or agogo. The gun is a wrought iron bell. And the agogo can be wrought iron as well, but um, because it has been adopted for many Brazilian popular styles, there is also a mass-produced steel version that is more common. The bell is another direct inheritance of West African musical practice. In the Ewe tradition of Eastern Ghana, for example, they play a double-headed bell called Gankokwi. The bell often serves as a kind of timekeeper, the rhythmic pattern around which the drummers and dancers organize themselves. Indeed, but the bell rarely plays the pulse, though. It Typically, it plays a syncopated pattern that the drummers and dancers recognize and play off of. In Candomblé, the drumming ensemble plays a different rhythm or toki for each of the Orishas. These talkies accompany dances, often ones that reenact stories associated with the Orishas. The drums act as voices that communicate with the Orishas and call them to the ceremony, where they sometimes possess initiates. The alabe or alabes need to know the talkies for all of the Orishas that are worshipped as part of the worship sequence. We'll explain more about that in, in the later episode, though. Let's listen to another talkie for Shango uh, and Aluja, now that we know what to listen for. Let's try to hear the three drums and the agogo and start to recognize the loops that they're playing. 
Now that we've talked about the meaning of Canoble and some of its musical features, why don't we return to those popular songs from the beginning that speak about Chango? I'm curious to dig a bit deeper into how they connect with Canoble. Let's. Uh, I say we start with Badim Pao and Vinicius Chimoraish. Theirs was certainly not the first popular song to make reference to Odishas, but it made a big splash and has had quite a lasting influence. That's from uh, Badeng and Vinicius' 1966 album called Os Afro Sambas. And that kind of redundant, isn't it, to call it Afro Samba? Yeah. That was a record that had an, an enormous reach both within and outside of Brazil. Can we talk about the two artists for a second? Yeah. Who's Badling Pao? He grew up in Rio, Rio de Janeiro, and he was one of the most technically adept and celebrated guitarists. Some call him the greatest of all time. And he came of age in Rio's bossa nova craze in the 19 late 1950s and early 1960s. And he was certainly influenced by Bossa Nova in the way that he plays. Exemplifying the difficulty of translating racial categories and attitudes from Brazil to the U.S., uh, Badeng is sometimes included in lists of black artists, but some say he's not from the, quote, Afro-Brazilian end of the racial cultural spectrum in Brazil. And regardless of the racialized nature of his physical characteristics, he was an outsider to Candomblé interested in its sounds and symbols, but not an initiate. Right. He traveled to Bahia um, as a young man, and he was inspired to incorporate the music that he heard in Candomblé houses into his own recordings. Yeah. How about the other one, Vinicius? Well, Vinicius Gimaraes uh, was a diplomat and a poet, and he came from a very wealthy family, and he gave himself the nickname the blackest white man in Brazil which from our perspective today is pretty gross. Yes. He certainly celebrated Afro-Brazilian culture, for example, with the play Black Orpheus or Orfeu Negro, which was made into two different movies. Right. And, you know, people have written about how Vinicius sort of plays a part in celebrating Afro-Brazilian culture and also as an agent of Brazil's structural racism. So he benefited from his skin color. And at the same time, he did certain good things within Brazilian culture. Yeah, it's complicated. How about the lyrics? The references in the lyrics are fairly oblique. Um, they're not really genuine ideas from Candomblé practice. It's more inspired by Candomblé. For instance, he sings about Shango, but he doesn't really say anything that has anything to do with Shango as we understand his personality. <laughs> Yeah. And they start the recording with, with a bell, right? So there's something there that's like musically inspired. 
Yeah, I would say in some ways the music is actually more reflective of Kundalini practice than the lyrics in this case. Um, but we're going to talk about specific bell patterns in the next episode. And if you were to go back and compare the bell patterns that we hear in most Kundalini uh, ceremonies, particularly in Bahia, it really wouldn't be the bell pattern that they have here. And that is actually more reflective of the way these kinds of sounds are used in Brazilian popular music versus, say, religious music. Yeah. So I want to talk about the song Shango uh, by Hochi Iorea that you really liked. Yes, I did love that one. <laughs> E tudo isso é homenagem a Xangô E tudo isso é homenagem a Xangô Xangô de Ogum, Xangô de Odé De Imanjá e Oxum Xangô de Ogum, Xangô de Odé De Imanjá e Oxum So I thought that the musical connections in that song were maybe a little less obvious. Yeah, I mean, they were using synthesizers and like kind of Referring to electronic styles. Yeah, the vocal style even reminds me a little bit more of like the funk music that you'll hear in Rio. Yeah, and then and the lyrics also um, kind of refer to Shango. Yeah, it. so again, we don't really have references to Shango's personality, but they do say Kao, which is part of the Saudação, Kao, Kabesile. And this song is pretty new, too. Yeah, it's brand new. And so it sort of shows how far you can get. <laughs> you can take the Kandoble tradition into popular music and you can get pretty far away um, while still having, you know, a tether. And we also had Fabiana Cosas Cabecile. <laughs> I think of the three songs, this one he was closest to Candomblé. Yeah, even the title of the album, Du Santos, uh, is both Fabiana's surname and also makes a reference to that idea we were just talking about, um, Mãe de Santo, Pai de Santo, of saints, of the saints. Right. People refer to Xangô and the whole squad as Santos. <laughs> um, now, here we do have that rhythm of the Agogô that we're going to hear in, in our next episode and really dissect the gang, 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 gang. And that sort of undergirds everything. It works here as more of a timeline that, that, that holds the music together. And how about the other instruments? You know this recording better than I do. Well, there are atabakis, which are the kinds of drums that you hear in Kandoblé practice in Bahia. There's the agogo, as you mentioned. And there is the abe, or a shakere, some kind of shaker instrument. And then there are also other instruments on top. There are some string instruments that are referencing probably a baiting bow, which is an instrument we'll have to talk about in our capoeira episodes. <laughs> yeah. 
But what I really want to talk about is the lyrics, because I think really what Fabiana Cosa does here is highlight elements of Shango's personality in her lyrics. Uh, you want to read a couple of them and we can we can translate them? Yeah. <laughs> He is the rhythm of the stick hitting the drum. He is the sound of the black rolling stone. He's the head of the hammer. He's the handle of the axe. It's the crash of thunder that is the voice of Xangô. He's the leader of the courts. He's the lord of justice. He's the balance of the scales. He is Xangô Agodô. And then later on, uh, she says, Cabecile, which is the saudação, it says, um, come salute the king. And she really describes who Shango is. I would say this is the closest to what you would find in a Condomble house, uh, comparing to the other popular songs that we listen to. Yes, absolutely. It's interesting how these examples show a spectrum of engagement with Candomblé. Yes, the Bading Vinicius song is clearly inspired by Candomblé imagery and music, but it ventures pretty far from the details, whether musical or lyrical. The most generous reading is that it brought Candomblé into the public eye as a set of positive signifiers. The last generous reading is that it's an example of appropriation. Whereas Fabiana Cosa is staying pretty faithful to the stories, she describes elements of Shango's personality and really highlights the instruments of Candomblé. With a few additions, of course. Of course. It's also interesting how much those two songs have in common melodically. I don't know if they're both based on a particular Candomblé melody or if Fabiana was influenced by Bading or if it's a coincidence. I'm not sure either, but it is an interesting commonality. Meanwhile, Hachiorea are somewhere in between. The references are processed through popular styles, of course, but there are some unmistakable nods to Candomblé music and worship there. E tudo isso é homenagem a Xangô Xangô de Ogum, Xangô de Odé, de Emanjá e Oxum Xangô de Ogum, Xangô de Odé, de Emanjá e Oxum These recordings bring up one more topic that we should discuss before moving on. What's that? Well, all in their way, speak to the importance of Candomblé as a signifier of blackness in the experience of black people in Brazil. That's true. They recall in their connection to the spiritual practice that survived enslavements of millions, the long history of persecution and discrimination of black Brazilians. Which is fairly common for Candomblé. Practitioners have often been involved in the struggle for rights for black Brazilians, whether in the celebration of Afro-Brazilian culture or in more overt political movements. 
Right, just to highlight one factor. Black women, statistically, are most likely to occupy the lowest class positions in Brazilian society and work the least lucrative and prestigious jobs. Things like maids, nannies, sex workers. Even though these professions should not be seen as less than, they come with societal stigmas and often limit people's economic opportunities. In Candomblé, though, women can occupy important positions as yalorixás and yaquequeres that garner both power and respect. Candomblé, in a way, offers a counter-narrative to the one that accompanies and justifies the intersectional discrimination black women face in Brazil. And even though women are underrepresented as composers and instrumentalists in the history of Brazilian popular music, that doesn't mean that women didn't play extremely important roles in the history of that music. Uh, one such figure is Chia Siata, who was a baiana. Meaning a woman from the state of Bahia. Uh, who moved to Rio in the late 19th century and created a space in her home for both the practice of candomblé and the exploration of musical ideas that would lead to the development of samba. Uh, Chia Siata's leadership in the religious community extended into secular music practice and helped ensure the birth of one of Brazil's most enduring cultural practices. And bring this forward to the 21st century, it's no coincidence that Luigi Luna is featured on the Hati Horea song that we heard. Luigi is a black woman from Bahia who has continued to work with candomblé signifiers in her, her music, but she has also spoken out strongly about the racism that black people suffer in Brazil. In her music, she highlights candomblé as a means of escaping stereotypes. Meanwhile, Fabiana Cosa has gone on to participate in the documentary Amarelo, directed by the musician Emicida. The film is about the importance of Afro-Brazilian culture and its survival against difficult odds in a racist country. Candomblé, as you would expect, is a recurrent theme. Tudo que bate é tambor, todo tambor vem de lá. Seu coração é o senhor, tudo é África. Pois em prática, essa tática matemática falou. Enquanto a terra não for livre, eu também não sou. Enquanto ancestral de quem tá por vir, eu vou. Cantar com as meninas enquanto germina o amor. É empírico, meio onírico, meio pírico, meu espírito. It should be clear that these songs are just a few examples of candomblé showing up in popular secular music. Indeed. Even if we were to limit our discussion just to songs that mention Shango, we would never have enough time to talk about all of them. <laughs> yeah, and imagine if we added the songs about Yemanjá, Yansan, Nanã, Oxóssi, Exu, Oxalá. <laughs> True, but we should still go into some more details about candomblé in its sacred form. That's why we're going to do two more episodes right away about the music of Candomblé. We'll continue to focus on the Yoruba-derived variants, but we'll look at two different sets of practice. One focusing on the most widely disseminated form, the one that you are most likely to encounter in Bahia. And the one focusing on practices in a particular tejero in Recife that is connected to the music of Maracatu that I play. I can't wait. I'm so looking forward to the next episodes. Well, thank you for this, Skylar. Thank you, Juliana. I learned so much. This was great. Esse foi massa. Tchau, 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 tchau.
is written, produced, and edited by Juliana Cantarelli-Vita and me, Skylar Weldon. For episode transcriptions and links, please visit our website, esifoimasa.com. That's E-S-S-E-F-O-I-M-A-S-S-A dot com. You can email us at esifoimasa at gmail.com. Our intro music is by Sonda Masa, and our outro music is by Sammy Bananas. Please join us in two weeks for our second episode on Candomblé, which will investigate the drums and rhythms of Candomblé Ketu in the state of Bahia. Until then, Esifoy Masa. He grew up in Rio de Janeiro, in Rio, how you all call it here. <laughs> I don't know how to say it. I'm going to use that. Oh. <laughs>